The COVID public health emergency is scheduled to end Thursday. Are there any impacts of the PHE unwinding that are flying under the radar? Drop us a line. You can reach me at bleonard at politico.com. This is Pulse Check. I'm Ben Leonard. The FDA is set to decide on over-the-counter birth control pills as soon as this summer, but an agency analysis of the pill's application shows skepticism about the drug's safety and efficacy. Two panels of independent advisors will debate over two days this week whether to recommend OPIL. Reproductive health advocates have argued that an over-the-counter birth control pill would increase access to contraception and decrease unwanted pregnancies. As the public health emergency winds down Thursday, the CDC won't have access to the same types of data to decide COVID guidance. That means it won't be able to calculate its COVID-19 community levels metric, which classified the virus risk as low, medium, or high, and recommended preventative actions accordingly. It will instead rely on a hospital admissions metric, which CDC officials say works just about as well. And a new federally funded study, the first of its kind, will assess the effectiveness of overdose prevention centers in New York City and Providence, Rhode Island. Maya Kaufman joins me to explain. Thanks so much for having me. So can you walk me through the purpose of this federally funded overdose prevention center study? Of course. So this study is really seeking to gather evidence on the impact of overdose prevention centers on the people who use them and then also the surrounding community. And I know that the topic has been a little bit controversial. Why have these overdose prevention centers seen little uptake so far in the U.S.? They have been extremely controversial in the U.S., even though they've actually been used internationally for quite some time. And part of that is because of this law that is a relic of the war on drugs, and it's known somewhat crudely as the crack house statute, and it makes it illegal for individuals or organizations to maintain or open any place for the purpose of using a controlled substance. So that's affected been used to bar the opening and operation of overdose prevention centers. What are the arguments on both sides of the coin about these sort of centers? Advocates in the harm reduction movement, meaning they're looking at policies to try and reduce deaths, basically, from drug use and the opioid use epidemic, point to evidence from existing overdose prevention centers abroad, showing that there's a really drastic impact on mortality. In other words, people aren't dying when they're using drugs in an overdose prevention center because there's staff on site that are trained to respond to overdoses and administer medical help right away if someone shows signs of an overdose. That's been one of the primary arguments that we see from advocates, but critics are concerned that the centers could potentially promote drug use, might have an impact on the surrounding community as far as crime levels, as far as public drug use, and see it as promoting drug use. And that hasn't really held up in anecdotal evidence and what we've seen of the literature of the overdose prevention centers abroad. But this study is really looking to see if those arguments have any merit and the couple of overdose prevention centers that exist or are soon to open in the U.S. How have lawmakers reacted in New York to the possibility of these centers? New York has two of the centers in New York City, and that's been because City officials in recent years have been extremely supportive of this model of tackling the opioid use epidemic. Former Mayor Bill de Blasio was the one who was able to secure agreements with law enforcement to basically 
allow these centers to operate without any fear of legal enforcement. And the current mayor, Eric Adams, has also been supportive of this model. His health commissioner has pledged to open more by 2025 as part of a recent policy plan that the mayor's administration put out. And that's in pretty stark contrast to what we've seen at the state level, where the state has the power theoretically to authorize these centers rather than having a kind of an ad hoc agreement. But the governor has basically taken this kind of wait and see approach and said she wants to see how these centers fare in Rhode Island, which is a little bit ahead of the game and and authorizing these at the state level. On the study itself, do we know how it will evaluate the effectiveness of these centers and what outcomes will it measure? They are going to be enrolling about a thousand people in New York City at the two overdose prevention centers that are currently operating and then also in Providence, Rhode Island, which is expected to open a pilot program next year. And they're going to be comparing the health outcomes of people who use those overdose prevention centers and our existing drug users to the outcomes of people who use other drug related services such as clean syringe exchanges, but not the overdose prevention centers. So that's their control group. And they'll be looking at things like hospitalization, mortality rates, and enrollment in treatment programs as a way of measuring the impact on those folks. Looking forward, how might the study impact drug policy? This would really be the first rigorous scientific study looking at the efficacy of overdose prevention centers in the U.S. since there's been, of course, minimal uptake in the U.S. So the researchers made the point that the evidence that we've seen internationally isn't necessarily transferable to the U.S. So if the findings of the study show that overdose prevention centers really have a substantial impact on health outcomes of the people who use them, that could be an argument that policymakers use to say this should be something that we authorize at the state level. And then it could also be something that the federal government looks at as an argument for potentially authorizing them at the federal level, which is certainly a possibility. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah and Annie Reese are our producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ahmed is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Ben Leonard. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. That's Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening. 